You got to see Fred, uh, Fred basketball picture. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, this is my bad. He showed me last week, talking about this is my basketball. You saw high, me. You this is my me. high school team. He gonna talk about I'm the one in the back on the left. Oh, the only one that like a grown ass wrestler. <laughs> you see me? <laughs> you think hey, I can't you see your big ass up, on the back? Ready to go. Oh, ripped and ready. This motherfucker sitting there. I'm a sophomore. That big rock <laughs> solid. I'm the I one on the back left. The best game I ever had. Question where you at? The best game I ever had in my life. We ready? Two carries, 140, two touchdowns. Done for the game. Two carries, 140, two touchdowns. Coach said, nah. <laughs> you done. You got a thousand of that. You done. We should let everybody else play. You, you done. One of, you playing one of the private schools down there. Nah, it was actually a pretty good school. Legendary coach, Sam Budnick. Look him up. Sam Bundy. We, Who part of Florida you tell? Tore their ass up. San Antonio. Uh, San Antonio? Oh, yeah, Belgrade from the muck. All they do is run down there, though. Like, that's it. Have you ever been there? No, I ain't never been there. It's a pizza shop, a gas station, and Fred Taylor. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't forget Dixie. Don't forget Dixie Fried Chicken. The best wings in the world. Listen, nah, I ain't, I ain't nothing to do there. Yeah. Nothing. I go down there, go fishing, and haul ass. To the lake? Yeah. Yeah. Can we start the show? Be nice. You know what I'm saying? Cross my leg. Hold up. Limitless, take a stomach cow, pin in it. I find the head to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the mission, got me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless, take a stomach cow, pin in it. I find the head to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the mission, got me up. Knowing me, I got the key. I mean, listen, all, all, all I've ever done when Ohio State was in there was win. You know, every time LSU and Ohio State see each other in the national championship, <laughs> we seem to come home with a ring. Don't, <laughs> don't, 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 the Gators, too. The Gators, too? The Gators, too. The Gators too. Yeah. Welcome to The Pivot, Maurice, man. This is long overdue. Uh, we get so many different requests that we should have you on. I think your life and your journey to this point, to being a social entrepreneur, to what you do in the communities, the way you tell your story, that's what this show was made for. That's why it's called The Pivot. Channing Crowder, Freddie T, I'm RC. Um, like, really, man, let's just get into it. You stepped on to Ohio State's campus, and Jim Trestle tells the story that uh, you used to talk about being a pastor. Mm -hmm. And your life took a different turn after a monumental, historically great freshman year. Become, you know, you set the, the mark for a freshman at Ohio State. The first freshman to be number one on the depth chart at the start of the season since 1943, I believe, at that position. Talk a little bit about where you saw your life going after graduating early from high school and enrolling into Ohio State. Well, just like anybody else, you know, um, I came onto campus and um, I felt like, you know, hey, you know, I was the number one player in high school, USA Today player. And uh, even at that point in my life, I was uh, intelligent enough to go back and look at previous guys who had won the uh, the award. And I was like, man, I really have a, a shot to, you know, go to the NFL. You know, if I come down to Columbus, handle my business, you know, if you if you start any uh, any major Division One school over uh, three years or, or two years, you know, you have a shot to go. And so at my point, it was just like, hey, let me get down to Columbus, uh, handle my business. Um, I was, you know, very confident in, you know, what I thought that I can do and the system that they had. And I thought, like, hey, man, I'll come down here, I'll play for, you know, two or three years, and then, you know, obviously the NFL will be an option. Bro, your story didn't start at Ohio State. There's so much going on we're going to talk about, but it didn't start at Ohio State. 
It's before that. Mm -hmm. You got there as a damn near grown man. What was the upbringing like? Because when you look into stuff, you don't really you don't really hear about that. Who raised you? What made Maurice young, Perez? Hey, Youngstown, <laughs> Maurice. We're looking yes, for Youngstown, <laughs> Maurice. Not nah, Columbus. I, mean, <laughs> I actually did research on him. I'm like, damn, this man wasn't born at 18 years old. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, you know, Youngstown, um, you know, just, you know, it's, it's inner city madness. Uh, well, Youngstown, I don't, and, I, and, you know, I'm real careful how I talk about it because I don't like to, I don't want to say defame our city, but... You know, in the 90s, it's just, it's just wild and out of control. You know, I mean, if you go look back in whatever went on, it was just, you know, crazy violence, be it for murders, felonious assaults, uh, domestic violence, just uh, the madness, you know. And uh, as a kid, you don't get a chance to uh, dictate, you know, where you grow up, you know. And obviously, you know, when I was coming up, I never thought that I was uh, good at sports. I played sports like everybody else just to, you know, have fun, socialize with your friends or do whatever. My mentality, what I thought I, that I wanted to be was just a gangster inside the neighborhood. And so whether it was somebody hustling or whether it was somebody who was uh, like an intimidating force, these were the people who had all the respect for me. You know, and a lot of times, like, you know, you look at kids on campus now, it's pretty much the same thing, you know, where you come from, this environment. You know, when I was a kid, you know, got locked up a few times. I thought it was funny, you know, stealing cars, breaking inside of houses, um, you know, hustling, you know, seventh, eighth grade, just doing nonsense like that. But it was really like my last time uh, getting locked up in the uh, eighth grade. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Roland Smith. He's, uh, he's still a strength and conditioning coach now with uh, Youngstown State. Uh, but he was actually a, a correctional officer. And he was the one who uh, actually, when I got locked up for breaking the side of these people's house, um, I went down to uh, the juvenile facility. He was actually a correctional facility inside the facility. And he seen me playing. He was like, yo, bro, like you should, you should take sports serious and uh, not basically be involved inside of this nonsense. And so... Transitioning to my ninth grade year, uh, this is when like football kind of got serious for me. So he would pick me up every day that summer or throughout the summer to try to get me to um, uh, weightlifting, conditioning, running stairs, and all the other nonsense. And uh, I didn't know, uh, like I was, I was 14 years old, 220 pounds, and I didn't know that huh? I was a, <laughs> yeah, just, you know, but like, you know, you're just, you're just a big kid and you don't know that um, you're bigger or more aggressive than other people. And so I think like, you know, when you grow up in a neighborhood, the environment just makes you aggressive. And you use it inside the neighborhood, but you don't know how this stuff translates to football or anybody else outside your neighborhood. So 14 years old, I'm playing football, and the first thing they start me on was special teams. And so I'm going down here, and I'm just, like, um, having crazy contact, either blowing people up on a wedge or, you know, the A-gap punt rusher, and I could just see that the coaches were liking that. And then, you know, I was third on the uh, depth chart over the summer, but then eventually I got my chance to um, play at 14 uh, at, in the first game. And I got like 60 yards in the second game, 140, third game, 250. And then it was the fourth game, I, uh, I ended up breaking my ankle. And this was varsity football. Uh, but inside that moment, I remember I was like, man, uh, like I'm getting the fuck out the neighborhood. It was never go to Ohio State. It was never go to the NFL. It was like, man, I'm just getting the fuck out the neighborhood. That's my the start of my football journey. So then. Uh, my sophomore year, uh, there was guys, or in the middle of my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, there were guys going to like major Division One schools at a school called Warren Harding. Mm -hmm. So this is 30 minutes away from Youngstown. I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, uh, I have a chance to get more distance between where I was at and what I was doing. And so basically, I went over to uh, Warren Harding, and uh, then it was like a, it was a blessing to happen to me. Like we had a coaching staff who was there, and I had like decent success in my sophomore year. Uh, but it was my junior year, actually, where I had a, uh, I had a, like, like almost like my pivotal moment. 
uh, Josh McDaniel's father was my high school coach. Wow. And he's a legendary high school coach. And I remember when Josh was coming back, back years ago, and you know how the game goes just from a running back. He was like, yo, you're good. But he was like, you can be a lot better if you understand the game. And so as knucklehead as I was before, like I've always been like, I've had a decent level of intelligence, but you know, when you bigger and you're supposed to be aggressive, you kind of suppress it, you know what I'm saying, when you were a kid. And so I understood concepts of football. I understood coverages. I understood like the actual game and art. Excuse me, let me, I got a little ahead of myself. He started introducing these concepts and they came to me fairly easy. You know what I'm saying? Why is somebody in man coverage? Why is somebody in zone coverage? Like in high school, we're running audible, we're running fire routes or, you know, green dog blitzes. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like people weren't talking about this stuff in high school, but he was introducing like the game. And so my junior year, I came back and in five games, because I had an ankle surgery, uh, I got a thousand yards, like 1,100 yards. And I was like, man, this is, uh, and at this point, I thought it was over, right? But in context, too, I also moved out my mother's house at 15. So we talk about the madness being grown. Like, I'm living on my own in high school, um, down the street from the school, you know what I'm saying? And so all this stuff plays its role into coming to Ohio State. So living on my own, you go have 1,000 yards. And at this point, I was getting ready to go to Notre Dame. So Urban Meyer was the officer coordinator, receivers coach or something at Notre Dame. I was a guy by the name of Rex Hogan. And Rex was um, like, he was like, he was younger coming up. He ended up working with the Bears and the Jets and stuff like that. But we were trying to get me to graduate early from high school. Cause I was like, man, I don't even want to play high school no more because like the thousand yards was like real easy. I knew the game. I knew what it was that I wanted to become. And so the whole graduating early thing even came out of that. That's how, this is why kids graduate early now. So they was like, you can't graduate your junior year. You can graduate midway through your senior year if you take an a, a English course. So I took the English course in the summer, going into my senior year, came back from my senior year, won Mr. Football, won uh, the National Player of the Year. And then that's basically how I came to Ohio State. And Ohio State never even offered me a scholarship. So just like you know, Jim Trussell, he says, like, I was happy to come down here to Ohio State, but Ohio State didn't offer me a scholarship. He came down here, they had three running backs. And, you know, and I, and I respectfully say this, but I see him, I was like, oh, man, I'm better than these guys. And, and like, not, I just I feel like, like being like respectful when you say stuff like that. But I was like, you know, I'm better than these dudes. I want to go to Ohio State. And eventually that, that's how I came here. So graduated early, went down to the um, US, USA Army All-American game, mm -hmm. came back from here and then uh, started on campus. I initially wanted to ask, <clears throat> when, did you, when did you take football serious? But, you know, when you mentioned not li living on your own since 15 and not living with your mom, there's so many different layers to your, your story and your upbringing that Chan asked you which in my mind, I feel like you never really took it serious. It was more so used as a vehicle to save your life and get you out of the streets. Oh, 1,000%. You know, and then you leveraged it going to, going to Ohio State as a freshman, and you were just so good, you couldn't help it. Yes. And everything else was just a trickle-down effect from, you know, the foundation of you trying to save yourself. I think what you're saying is 100% accurate. We all football players, you all, everybody's met football players. You ever just meet somebody who just love to work hard? Right. And so that was me with football, where football was this vehicle, and I'm the dude you don't have to tell to get to the weight room. You know, I'm the dude you don't have to tell to do conditioning. I'm the dude who, who you don't have to tell to sit in front of a film and watch it hours on hours on hours. And where you have maybe been faster, I was always like the guy who can understand football, and I can become real good at that. And so it was 1,000% used as a vehicle, and do you grow to love it just because you do it so much? Yeah. Do you get into the details of how you break tackles or 
what uh, exercises in the weight room lead to uh, performance on the field or, you know, me and him, if he's a linebacker and I'm a running back, you know, uh, I hate A-gap blitzes, so I got to act tough on A-gap blitzes to stop him and not stop, you know, just the game. You know, mm -hmm. we start to play the game into something different. Like, that came, like, that came, and, and I, felt, I found a love from doing it so much. And uh, But I say your answer is, uh, your assessment is correct. Quickly, you, you live by yourself at 15, like, yeah. you had a key, you paid rent, you <laughs> paid electricity. Like, I didn't know how to even wash laundry at 15. No, I mean, so, so I mean, just, it's just real, this is like life, you know what I mean? Like, um, the people at our high school knew I was going through so much crazy stuff back in Youngstown. And obviously, it wasn't maliciously done purposely for football, but it's like, yo, you got potential, uh, we'll provide an apartment for you. So this was like boosters of the high school program. So. Warren Harding football, you know, we had 20, 25,000 people at a high school game. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So we're not, we're not talking about 3,000 people, 2,500 people, and uh, the community of Warren, which is about 30 minutes from Youngstown, these people live, breathe, die, and love football. You know what I'm saying? So it was just people, uh, and it was done out of, like, good nature. Like, okay, you back in Youngstown, uh, we see the people who you bring around, we see everything in tree, and so it's like, you know, let me put you in better soil. And so... You know, I'm 200 pounds. You know, I look like a man. I'm operating like a man. Like, you didn't have to tell me to come to school. Like, I was just handling my business. And so it was just a different time. That mentality, two, three years on your own before you get to high school or before you get to college, when I came back to college, I was like, man, I'm taking a step back. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You know, you have to put me in a dormitory. You got seven, eight people. Like, that was a struggle for me, uh, being around people. Like, you know, I remember when I was in the dorm one time, and uh, uh, I was on the phone with a little girl I was, <laughs> I was talking to at the time. And a dude, uh, my, the roommate was like, you know, he went to go tell the, the resident hall person, whatever they are, RA, right? Yeah. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> you know, even at 18, because in my mind, I felt like I was grown and, uh, and it felt like I just moved backwards. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Also, too, you talking about you couldn't wash clothes at 15. You still <laughs> flip your drawers, bro. <laughs> I was like, do, do, you, do you know how to wash clothes now? Like, is, I, is it something that you've learned? There's buttons on the front. Yes. And I know you can push that little blue thing and that blue stuff goes in that little hole, but I, I ain't washing no clothes. I'm rich. <laughs> so who washes your clothes? My wife washes clothes. We have people to help us and different people. I'm not washing no clothes. I, yeah. work, I work hard. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. You know, <laughs> Maurice, you don't wash clothes. You wash clothes right now? Uh, no. See? I wash clothes. <laughs> you don't wash I, no damn I wash clothes. Workout clothes. I love washing clothes. Washing clothes is a process, and processes are therapeutic to me. So I enjoy, like, the whole separating the clothes, washing the clothes, folding them, putting them where they belong. There's a sense of accomplishment in it for you'll, me. You'll wash my clothes? No. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to wash your two pair of drawers. That's one pair because they got a hole Listen, in it. So I'm not, I'm don't, not don't doing Don't grab them drawers the wrong <laughs> angle now. <laughs> your hair going to stink. <laughs> Maurice, man, the historic freshman year, and you start to get the accolades that you deserve and seemingly that you've been getting since 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Because we could say what we want about the boosters of Warren Harden. Warren Harden, Harden, yes. It doesn't matter. They're not doing that if you ain't good at football. No. This, this, wasn't, this, wasn't, the, this wasn't the kind hearted, oh, this is a good kid that seems to have a hard life. Let's give him an apartment so no. he can come be a C student and just go to school. No. Right? It was because of the level of athlete you yeah. were, it was because of the running back you were. And all of those things come at Ohio State quickly. 
And I just remember sitting at home and seeing your highlights from game one. Then Washington State, you go for almost 200 and you get the, the injury and you miss a couple of games, but still over 1,200 yards mm -hmm. in 11 games as a freshman. But then some of the trouble starts, right? Maurice Claret's names, name starts to be mixed in negativity as opposed to the positivity that went on on the field. Mm -hmm. When some of those things start to happen and that publicity is what you're, you're connected with, how did that affect you as the person dealing with some of those things? It was almost like um, I seen it coming. You know, so like midway through the season, uh, Coach Trussell had called me down to uh, the office and we were having success, right? We were 6-0, and 7-0, and he was like, yo, uh, some of the things that you used to do prior to, you know, having a success, like you're starting to have trouble with. You know, he used to be the guy who come in here and lift after practice. He used to be the guy who was just kind of staying to yourself. But it was just a, just a nightlife success that started to happen once you have success on the field. You know what I mean? Growing up in the era, MTV crib era, where you see, and we all influenced by it, right? Where you see people have success and then you say, okay, once I become successful, these are the things that I'm supposed to do, right? I'm supposed to have everybody from my neighborhood with me. I'm supposed to go to the bar, the club, you know, host everything. And we hadn't won so much here in Columbus that all these things were made available to me. You know what I'm saying? So that lifestyle that coach was criticizing, like I'm definitely living it, but I'm also not living it on campus. Mm. So to, to Channing's point, like I grew up like infatuated by people who gangsters, right? And so that still means something to me at that point in my life, 18, 19 years old, where if I got homeboys from around the way or family members who I admire them as they're coming down to the game and I feel like I can show these guys a nice time and I can host an event and people that I, that, that I deem were I don't know, admirable to me at 18, like that still meant something to me. That meant something to me just as much as going to play football. And even though these things conflict and one is like destroying another, like it's hard to have that level of discernment at 18, right? Yeah. So as they were saying it, like I'm like, all right, I don't care as long as I perform on the field, like I'm cool. And uh, where it really took, where, where things started to really escalate was that after we, we had won a national championship and the off season had came, that's when things kind of like escalated, right? I had like a negative moment with Ohio State for, for wanting to fly home in uh, the national championship. About the funeral. Yeah, friend. about the funeral. Yep. Yeah, so, so I, had, I had this moment with them. You know, you have to figure, just for context, LeBron is 30, 40 minutes away from me in high school, right? And so he's getting recruited by Adidas and Nike, and this is when Mav and Rich Paul, all these dudes young, Randy, all the, all the guys who still around him, like we were all young coming up at the same time. And so you're getting sweatsuits and jogging suits. And I remember 50th album came out, you know, saying that he'd bring us out on stage in Cleveland. And I remember that. I just remember all this stuff, but all this stuff was going on. And so I'm like, man, go to class or do this. Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I mean? How do you tell a kid at 18 that Drake want to take you on tour or Snoop wants you to come out to, you know, to, to a date? Like, you know, it's hard for a kid to do like that. So as you're hearing it, you're hearing it, but you still have this thing in the back of your mind, like, as long as I go ahead and perform on the field, like, I'll be cool. Right. The negativity started to triumph. Then I had the NCAA investigation. And then once the investigation happened, I didn't think for one second I would be suspended. You know what I'm saying? Right. I thought, like, okay, this is, like, formality. When you look in the context, like, I, there was things that I wasn't supposed to do, but I don't have a story where, like, you know, he gave me 10000 or you right. gave me 15000 Like, the, 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 the significant part of, like, my suspension was this. Uh, the booster who um, paid for my cell phone in high school every month that he paid for my cell phone from my junior year, that was an infraction.
Mm-hmm. So out of like one cell phone, you get like a hundred infractions. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So when you market it to the public, you say, okay, he had a thousand infractions. Like I had a, a check for going to a birthday party for 250. I had a cell phone bill that I was paid for. Then you had infractions for lying, but I don't have like, oh, he got a half million dollars and yeah. you know all, all this other stuff. So it didn't affect me initially. You know, I, I wasn't affected until I was actually suspended from school. What was that moment like, or what was it like being suspended? watching your team play. You're coming off of a national championship. Obviously, we know this ends up in a suit against the NFL. You're suspended. You're trying to get an opportunity to go to the league, and we'll get to that. But what are those moments like? Like, you're the big man on campus. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, as college football players or NFL football players, that can become your identity, Mm -hmm. right? When you walk into a building, you don't just walk in as Maurice Claret. You walk in as Maurice Claret, national champion, Ohio State University, running back, All-American, right? Mm-hmm. Future first-round pro or whatever it is. And all of that changes when, when you're suspended. All of that changes when you can't put on that helmet and get the Buckeyes on the helmet. What are you feeling during that time, watching your team go on without you? The, the best way I can describe it is when a guy is cut from the NFL and, like, there's no more. I felt whatever that feeling is at 19, right? Where you're admired, you're revered, you're respected, everybody wants to be around you, to you can't come into the facility, you can't be around teammates, you can't practice, you don't have the same academic advisors, and like you solo. You know, we all have like different moments in our life where like um, you just reflect on these moments that you know, like, yo, I'm in a different place mentally, right? And back in the day, they used to have those, if you stressed out, restless, sleepless commercials. Mm -hmm. And before I would watch them, and they wouldn't resonate with me. But I remember this was the first time, like, I'm watching this stuff in my bedroom, and I'm like, man, I feel just like that, right? But this, like, 2003, you don't have, like, just even a concept of mental health. You don't have a concept of depression. You know, uh, all of your problems up to this point, if you can't make a yard, you can go break down film. You can go get in better shape. And so from a performance standpoint, like, I knew how to deal with mishaps. But from a personal, like, man, I'm going through some shit, I didn't know how to deal with that, right? And so I'm always, I'm angry, too, and I'm, like, resentful. Like, I'm angry at Ohio State. Like, I'm angry at, you know, these dudes let me go from the team. I'm angry at the NCAA, the agents and people who came around me. Like, once you get suspended, you know, everybody gone. You know, you have your stuff on TV, but now I'm in Columbus by myself. You know what I'm saying? And so now, when I'm angry, I go back to the same kid who grew up in the neighborhood, and I'm like, man, fuck this shit. You know, I'm back out here. And so uh, what actually happened from there, like, I jumped right back into the streets. I don't know what it is, and maybe you can have clinical psychologists, you know, break it down, but anger is like empowerment because you can control that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And you feel good just being, like, in, 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 like, a tougher space. And I see how people hold on to that stuff now, like, being older, I see how you hold it because you feel like you have some control when you're angry. So when I go out here and I start to hustle and I start to uh, go out and party and I'm having random sex and I'm up all night and, and this becomes to like the, uh, the field of void from not playing, like I'm not realizing, or I'm not even caring for the most part that I'm like doing something that's self-destructive towards a future NFL life. So this goes on 2003. The gangster fame I got because the biggest dope boys in Columbus, I'm with them. The biggest dope boys in Youngstown, I'm with them. And where football was that thing, like, hustling became that thing and street culture became that thing. You know what I'm saying? But it conflicts with who you have potential to be, but on some level, I don't care. Right. You follow where I'm coming from? 
So then I ended up going to California, and this was 2000, spring 2004. It's the same person, same behavior that goes out to California, and I'm doing the same thing. Wow. 2005 comes, it's time for me to get ready for the draft. And somewhere in my head, I'm thinking like, man, I can go ahead and just pull it all together. So I was like, um, you know, you know, working out at 24-hour fitness or working out at some nonsense, that's not like training. Right. You know, we ain't talking about, this ain't hand cleaning training. Right. Me and you going back and forth to see if, you know, if we can beat one another. It's not even the same environment, but somewhere in my head, I think that I've trained enough in my life that I'll come here and I'll run a fast 40, I'll do a vertical jump, I'll do skill drills, like somewhere in my head out there, I could just turn it on. And like literally, like if you would have put me with a lot of detector tests, I'd be like, man, I'll go ahead and perform and I'll be able to do this. But I ended up getting to the combine, horrible. The, the performance is one thing, but when you look back on just even all the team interviews, you know, you go through and you, you do all the interviews with all the teams, just horrible. It was Coach Anderson for um, Cincinnati. I think that was his name. I think the running back coach, I don't know if you know his name, but I remember he, him bringing me to the side. I was like, yo, bro, like, you know, your mind ain't in this. You know what I'm saying? And he knew that, like, I was just, like, in a different space. And as they asked me questions about playing football, I'm so hard and, and so resentful of, like, not being the guy going into the combine because I thought, like, I'd be a first-round pick and, you know, I'll make millions of dollars. Like, all that stuff was, like, a build-up to just, you know, what ended up happening uh, after before drafted. I got to rewind because did, that didn't make sense to me when you when you read the story and you look at it and I'm saying, talking to you, you're from Columbus. From Youngstown. You're from Youngstown, but now you're in Columbus, now you're still in Columbus. You all of a sudden moved to L.A.? Mm -hmm. Like, why L.A.? And to be honest, who was funding this? Because you ain't had no money yet. I'm running dope between Youngstown and Columbus. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So hustling, and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't petty hustling. I was like really hustling, you know what I mean? And um, the last time, well, almost, I almost got robbed two times back home. Somebody was outside my house, and I didn't see this coming. I'm like, okay, was it some girl I was messing with? And I lived in the suburbs. Was it somebody else who seen me coming back and forth from the club? But literally, you know, my guy was pulling outside, of the, uh, pulling back, backing out the driveway. He said, I'm like, yo, Reese, somebody in your bushes. My mother in the house with me. And I come outside with a gun. And I'm like, yo, bro, I got to get gone. So I, I knew somebody in L.A. I get on a plane, go to L.A. probably two or three days later. I got the money that I have. Uh, landed there probably 2000, what, 2004, spring 2004. Uh, stayed at the, uh, I think it was, it was the Sheraton on Hollywood Highland. And I was just there just like taking a breath from everything that I had been going through from the last few months. And so for real, LA was an escape from all the shit that was going on in the streets. But then also like, man, I've been dealing with this dude asking me, am I gonna play football again? This dude asking me what happened with Ohio State. You telling me like Ohio State did you wrong. Like all that stuff just replays like that traumatic event. And I was like, man, let me get away from this. Yeah. But being inside the streets and doing what I was doing, I ended up like, literally running from it. You know, let me run out to L.A., let me just take a breather and a break. When I got to L.A., I ended up going out to a, uh, a party at the beach. There was a party in Marina Del Rey. I went to the party with uh, some girls who was there, and we just literally at the party, hanging out, doing a whole bunch of nothing, and a dude came up to me at the end, was like, yo, bro, like, who brought you here? Or like, who you here with? And I'm like, yo, these girls. And then he was like, you know, who is you? And so his buddy used to gamble uh, on games, so his buddy knew who I was. And so the next thing you know, he was like, well, what you doing in L.A.? And so I saw like uh, opportunity just to like, yo, like this is what I'm doing, this is what's going on. And then we end up uh, basically hooking up and I stayed out in LA for a couple years. And you know, he was uh, my road dog by the time I was out there and I was halfway into uh, football, but the majority of the time I was into like, you know, his lifestyle and everything that was going on in uh, Los Angeles. So all of this, everything you've just mentioned, 
came from, uh, rooted from cell phone infraction? Yeah. No stacks, no, no big bags, just cell phone payments. Yeah, so cell phone payments, you know, the stuff, you can go look this stuff up if you want to fact check it. Cell phone payments, uh, $250 uh, birthday party, and just a consistent line to the NCAA about things that I was doing wrong. But I don't have like $10,000, $20,000, dollars check that anybody gave to me that uh, can be rep reproduced. The actual situation that happened was, and I go back to what he was talking about, it was a funeral at Ohio State. One of the homeboys I grew up since uh, my childhood, he got murdered in a drug deal, right? So we had the national championship. Ohio State, I called Ohio State, I called uh, compliance and the administration of Ohio State and said, yo, I want to go back home to go to a funeral. Had this been my grandmother died because of old age, it wouldn't have been a problem, but we can't have our star player going back to a funeral over a drug deal going back. And so then I start to have like, you know, different issues with that. I'll, I'll speak two things to that. Like we can come and get you out the hood you know, saying we can dress you up and decorate you, but we only want certain parts of your story. You sure mm -hmm. I'm coming from? I'm like, nah, this is where I'm from. Like, he got killed the way he got killed. Like, I want to go to it. And so what ended up happening was media day had come uh, that Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever during the national championship you do media. And so you got to figure, like me, I'm 18 years old, 19 years old. I don't have etiquette. You sure I'm coming from? Mm -hmm. So when I'm sitting in front of the camera, they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, man, they lied to me. So I don't know who no athletic director is. I don't even know the athletic director at this time is the head of the coach. The coach is the most important thing to me from my perspective, Correct. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So they like, who lied to you? I said, the athletic director, the people who I talked to on the phone. And so they took that and they ran that in the media. And so he was embarrassed from that. And so just imagine you go any kid right now, 18, 19 years old, you just don't even have context for this stuff. You know what I'm saying? So he held a grudge. And so then you think to yourself, like, man, we got 19 returning starters next year. You sure I'm coming from? We got 19 returning starters. We done made our money. We done established our brand. Like, we need him, but, like, we really don't need him. They're expendable. Oh, it's, it's two parts of this, though. All these questions just bringing up more thoughts. During the spring, um, I had a car. And so my transmission went in my car. And I called the coach. I said, yo, I need to go ahead and get a car because I can't pay $2,000 to fix this transmission. When I go use the car, the gentleman had repoed a car from somebody who he had given a car to. And so you remember back in the day, these uh, 800 or 300 CD cases that you would yep. put CDs in. So I'm driving the car, I skip class, I go to uh, work out. So as I'm working out, I drive the car over there. It got two 12 inch speakers in the back. You have the car that has the CDs in it. And I've had this car not even 24 hours. So when I go here, I'm working out, the secretary comes into the waiting room and she says, hey, uh, some, who, who's driving that black money car outside? I'm like, yo, I know I'm not supposed to be driving it, so I don't say nothing. And she says, oh, whosoever it is, somebody broke into it. I took a Gatorade and was like, shit. Smashed it, go outside, the car fucked up. Back inside, I called Coach Trust. I'm like, yo, like, what should I do? I'm like, like, do I report this? He like, call campus police, report this, tell them what was in the car. So stay with all these moments. That happened at the national championship. This happens in the spring. I'm already cutting up during the summer. I've already embarrassed the athletic director. Now you have the NCAA investigation come on. So when the investigation comes on, I'm going back and forth with these people. I'm lying because they, they know what, happened, what goes on in college sports, but I'm just playing stupid. I'm like, and I'm not saying nothing. I'm not talking to y'all about nothing. 
all this stuff happens inside the investigation. You know, the school has to recommend suspension. Right. Are you familiar, you familiar with this? Yeah. Average person don't notice. They think the NCAA hands down, hands down the suspension. So we're thinking it's supposed to be three games. This is why Jim Brown got mad. So Jim Brown's saying, if y'all supposed to be on this guy's side and y'all supposed to hand down the infraction, why would you suspend him indefinitely? Like, why would you suspend him with, like, longer than what it was? That's when they gave, basically gave Jim Brown the finger and said, man, get the fuck out of here, mm. and we're going to suspend him indefinitely. Come to find out, the real issue was this. It wasn't about me. Jim O'Brien, who was the basketball coach, he had gave a kid from Serbia $7,500. So the NCAA was getting ready to pose infractional Ohio State anyway over the basketball program. And so the athletic director didn't want to look like a dumbass that he had this program that was running rampant. So let me go ahead and throw this dude up under the bus, show you that we're hard on people doing the wrong thing, yeah. and just kick you out of here. So this is all factual information. If you're coming from, but you don't have pivots, you don't have social media, you don't have anything. Mm -hmm. Only thing you have is your local stations who produce the information for the university, but, but the they tied to the school. It's got tied to the school. Right. And so you can't defend yourself. And so whatever narrative that you put out there is the narrative that you put out there. So part of my suspension was this. Part of my suspension was to say I lied about the stuff that got broken into with the car. And they said, oh, in order for you to come back, you have to go tell the police that you did that. So I say, man, I didn't say nothing wrong. I've never filed an insurance claim. If I would have filed an insurance claim for the products that were taken out of the car, that would have been a criminal charge. Mm -hmm. You follow where I'm coming from? Yep. I didn't lie. So these CDs that got taken out of here, these CDs are worth $15, $15, $20 back in the day, right? And so they multiply $15, $20 times 800 CDs. Dang. And so then this is where you get the infraction, and then this is where you make me look crazy. Bro, nothing more. I was just a dude in college. You're trying to go out, grow out of, I call it your nigga phase. You from yeah. coming from? Mm -hmm. Every, what Prime doing over in Colorado? He can help dudes grow out of like the nigga phase that they come to on the campus. Little young black dudes from the hood who just yeah. don't don't know no don't, different. Don't know no different. And so then you put it like I say, you know, fuck the university. It wasn't fuck the university. It wasn't fuck the university. It wasn't fuck the coach. It wasn't fuck the athletic director. At the end of the day, I wanted to go home for a funeral. And from a funeral, then now you can put all this stuff inside the narrative. You know what I'm saying? Get in on the NFL action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code DEFENSE to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code DEFENSE. The crown is yours. Andy Geiger was the AD at the time, and that's who hands down the suspension. It happens right before the season. But just thinking about all the things that have happened to you, you know, you were in Youngstown, in the hood, you move away from your mother at 15 mm -hmm. to escape what you were in and try to get yourself to a better place. You get suspended from the team, you go back to hustling, right? So you, you leave from the, the comforts of football and having all those things because they kick you out of it. You go back to hustling, so now you run from that. Stuff's not going right in the hood. Folks outside your house, you leave Youngstown again, and, and now we going to L.A., so I'm running from that. And we're constantly running from everything that's happening, right? You get, you get sentenced to three-plus years in jail. You're doing that, and you finally get to this place where you're out or whatever it is. What was the day you decided to stop running, though? Because it seems like you've run from everything, and now you're running two things to help people. You're running two things to tell your story. 
What was the moment in your life where you were saying, all this running, not dealing with the things at hand, not truly processing trauma, truly processing damage has led me to this point. I got to try something different. What was that moment for you? Let me tell you this. When your life fucked up, you know it's fucked up. But oftentimes, you don't know how to fix it. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to sit here and say, like, uh, like oh, man, I just was oblivious to what was going on. Like, I knew I was running, avoiding, just because you don't know how to. What is the first step to even put this shit back together? And so, actually, prison is what happened, right? So when I first got incarcerated, uh, the first seven months of uh, my incarceration, you locked down a 23-hour lockdown. And I think, like, if you want to talk about, like, a transformational moment, that was it, where if I sit anybody inside of a, a cell for 23 hours, nine by four, like, the shit just makes you reflect, you know, whenever you get incarcerated. And you ain't drinking, you ain't high, you don't have things, people, family members, fans, you have nothing to distract you. You just begin to reflect on, like, what fucking got you to, uh, to the situation that you're in. Just, just, like, starting to reflect on, like, how the fuck I put myself there. And uh, it was a book, and I, I always, like, shout this book out. Uh, it was a book that really kind of, if you want to call it running from yourself, and gave me more control of, like, basically how to be proactive. It was called As a Man Thinketh. And it was a small 70-page read. It was a dude who was uh, getting out of jail, a dude named Lamont, came down. He said, hey, man, I know who you is. Obviously, I'm a fan. I just came home from the federal system. Can you uh, read his book? And so when I first started to read uh, As a Man Think, if it was like simple language, uh, easy to understand, but it talked about like thoughts being things and you essentially create your life and create your reality from what you think about. And so I had never heard this before in my life, but I understood the concepts from football. So I was like, man, I remember I used to visualize having success running the football. I would visualize doing things like that, but I didn't know I was actively doing something that was like a, a thing. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know you can attract things to you, right? And that part right there, like, triggers something like inquisitive in me. And I didn't even know, what, I didn't know I was like being inquisitive, but now, you know, understanding vocabulary better, like I understand I was being inquisitive. So even being sentenced to seven and a half years, I was like, man, I'm not really mad that I'm here because something else outside of football like this sparked in me, right? So I ended up going to uh, prison up in uh, Toledo, Ohio. So when I get to prison, there was another gentleman, uh, another thing that kind of happened that, you know, stopped me from running. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Kelaconte, and uh, he was an African warden. Uh, he's from Sierra Leone. And so he was like, yo, Maurice, uh, I have a son your same age, and if my son was in the same situation, I would want somebody to help him. And uh, he was like, man, I'm going to put you in a bunch of, uh, like, our therapeutic courses and, like, the education wing. And so a lot of people think prison is just sales, bars, and dudes acting crazy, and that's the housing unit, but they actually have different units throughout the prison where you can go to education and other shit. And so what ended up happening was he started sending me back and forth to courses. Uh, they had thinking for a change, cage of rage, drug and alcohol courses, uh, cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy courses. And uh, I, was, I, was with, I was in what's just called a closed security facility, which means you lock down for 20 hours out the day so you decide your housing unit. And literally, uh, it was a catalog called Bargain Books. I tell the story all the time. I couldn't read real well, um, read, comprehend, do anything prior to playing football. And I was like, man, fuck it. I'm never going to be able to play football again. Uh, I'm thinking, like, I got seven and a half years. I'm 22. I'll be 30. You know, it's not, like, realistic. And so I was like, man, I'm going to go ahead and um, just start to educate myself. And so when dudes would send me 40, 50, 60 bucks, I would take this stuff. And I was like, man, I'm going to just start learning how to read, become interested in something, and just become good. And so the next thing I know, like, the same fucking passion that I have for football, 
in the film study and then you say like something being a vehicle for something, I was like, shit, I can read. And I like reading and I enjoy reading and I enjoy comprehending and I enjoy having a better vocabulary or communicating like to different people. And so that's what really happened. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like reading changed my life, like nothing else, like, like fuck all this other shit, like reading and self-education was what really changed, right? And so then what happened from there, um, I don't know, like that, that shit just kind of set me on a different path, you know what I'm saying? Where what I thought was possible or who I see myself as, like, you know, I don't care if you are running back, I don't care if you're producing a show, like everything has to start with some sort of vision, you know what I'm saying? And um, I think even for the things that I've done in the past, like having an understanding, like, um, I remember I read Power Versus Force, right? And it was a book by, the, by Dr. David Hawkins, and it talks about scales of consciousness. And you can only function at the level that you understand. And you can only see the world at your level of consciousness. And so what may be true to him may not be true to me based upon our level of consciousness, our experiences, and the shit that we basically go through. And so as I start reading this, you can accept like your failures. Like, like the only reason like people become depressed about shit is because like you don't have an understanding on the events that took place. You feel I'm coming from? So you can forgive yourself. And I say, all right, I thought I was a street nigga. So I understand why I failed in Denver. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I used to drink and smoke because I thought I was a street. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the only, the only reason you get out your fucking mind and become inebriated or how the time is because like you, you're not aiming towards something. And the reason you're not aiming towards something is because you don't, you're not serious about a goal that you've prepared for. You feel I'm coming from? And so, like when you start to just reflect on your life and then in prison, you have the time for it. That's when I go from running because you don't know what's going on to, man, now I'm living my life, I'm old. Yeah, bro, and prison, pri prison changed you. Yeah. Prison changed, that was, that was the change was, and you're an order. Like you can, <laughs> you like, you know what I'm saying? You're educated, <laughs> motherfucker, you couldn't read, you can read now, you got some <laughs> words and shit. <laughs> but <laughs> the story of getting them seven and a half, I wanna hear you tell it, cause, <laughs> In my mind, you robbed two people, yeah. and then later on was riding around their neighborhood with a damn arsenal and a bottle of Grey Goose in the car. That's the story I read. I want to hear it out of the horse's mouth. <laughs> you want to hear? Yeah, nah. I mean, and, and, and I feel like it's, uh, it was a serious situation, but you, you, you can, like, you know, you, as life goes, you can laugh and reflect on it, right? Yeah. Nah, but what happened was, um, I would, like, and the actual people, well, so I was going down there for somebody. The night I got uh, committed to robbery, right? Yeah. I was going down there for uh, a specific person. So it wasn't like some random, I was walking through uh, the alley and I was like, oh, let me just go rob these people. And who I thought was back there wasn't there. Mm. The, the reason I didn't have a mask on or something like that was because the person, if I was going to, what I was going to do to the person, they were going to know who I was whether I had a mask on or off, you know what I'm saying? And so I was going down there over something prior that we had going on. But the people who were there when I did it, I was like, man, let me just take your shit just because I'm back here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so then even the people who was with me, they didn't even know what's going on. It was like there was a person inside the nightclub who told me that a person was going to the back or whenever they got back there, they was going to call me. I wasn't too far away. They called me. I told the people who I was with to get in the car with me, come on. I parked where they didn't even know what the fuck was going on. I walked back there. I thought I was going to see somebody else. But since I did what I was doing, I was doing, I just took the shit from them and basically was leaving. And, and essentially that's what happened. But yeah. That was December 31st, 2005. Once I had that case, like, once I had that case, like all of the resentment and the anger that I have from getting kicked from school and kicked out the NFL, all that shit escalated. You know, even during this time I have my daughter, she was, we got three kids now, but 
my daughter was, um, uh, her mother, she was like, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe three, four months pregnant at this time. So you're dealing with the pressure of this shit. You're dealing with the pressure of, you have a criminal case, you're dealing with just everything, you know what I mean? And at this time, smoking increased, drinking increased, like everything in my fucking life. Like I can't even remember any time in 2006 where I'm sober, you know what I'm saying? Because, yeah, I mean, just every day, you drinking, you smoking, and you just like in a dark place, right? And so somewhere in my head, you have to remember, I, I told you, like, I, I think I'm a street nigga. Uh, Man, instead of going to court with these people, I'd rather try to kill them. You feel where I'm coming from? Yeah. And so what actually happened was, I was like, when you're preparing to go to trial, you get different discovery packages, right? And so you can serve fucking subpoenas uh, to people, you get addresses. So as I'm talking to the lawyer throughout this process, I find out what the, what the address is, right, that they have on file. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, in order for me not to go to court, like, you know, it sounds crazy. Like, as you yes. as you sit here and talk about it, even I'm 39 years old, there's some things you, like, you become embarrassed about. You be like, damn, like, my, my mind was really in this space where I thought this shit made sense. Um, literally, I was like, man, I'm gonna go ahead and, and kill these people, and I thought that it was, like, going to make sense to me. So, you know, I gear up that morning, and I ride over to where I'm supposed to go, and I think I'm being a genius. I set the cell phone down, because at that time, I'm thinking, like, oh, you know, they'll ping my cell phone at the hotel that I'm gonna say I'm at. And then as I'm going, I get off at the wrong exit and I go to uh, make a U-turn. And there was a police officer who was uh, sitting inside of the Home Depot parking lot. Yeah. And I, when I made the U-turn, I seen him, you know, it's two, three in the morning. I'm like, man, we see each other, obviously. And I know he's gonna pull me over. So he actually, you know, get behind me. And I don't know why, uh, for the love of God, but when he came behind me, I just start thinking about an episode from Cops, right? <laughs> <laughs> And you hit it. Yeah, no, so so I waited for him to get out the car and walk up on the car, and I was like, yo, man, let me get a head start. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so next thing you know, I, I get on the freeway, and I'm, I'm flying down the freeway, and um, I got, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mother's Hyundai. You know what I'm saying? Hyundai ain't going too fast, right? <laughs> so, you in a high-speed chase at 38. There <laughs> <laughs> had to be police in the area because, you know, before you know it, it's like, I don't know, four or five police officers, they right behind you, and then I'm driving to a, um, on a freeway towards a, an area that I really don't know. So I'm like, man, let me make a U-turn and uh, come back towards the city. And once I start coming back towards the city, and this was another moment. This was like inside of the uh, movies. I'm like, man, this dude was standing in the middle of the road, and I can clearly see that he had uh, spike strips. Mm. And I'm like, man, this joker about to really throw these joints, you know what I'm saying? But I'm driving, he throw the spike strips out, they bust the tires. You know, I get off on the exit, and uh, once I got off on the exit, like at that point, you know, I knew I was caught. And so at that point, like, that's how, that's how everything happened. This is the first time we've done a show. I felt like I'm in the fucking movie. Like, I'm, I'm really watching a movie. And it's not amazing, but, man, you that's a lot of shit, bro. <laughs> that, that's a ton of shit. Like, it's the details of it all, it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Do you have any regrets? Or do you just chalk it up as, this is why I am, the purpose driven where I am at in my life right now, the success story, the entrepreneur, everything you have going on from philanthropy, speaking to, to companies, or would you have any one thing that you would point out and say, fuck, I wish I hadn't done that? I don't know, I said all the time, man, I wish I would have learned about educating myself earlier. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, like when I told you like how you, how you come to pass, or not come to pass, how you learn to accept things is looking back and saying, like, I can only function how I was programmed to function at that level. You know what I'm saying? In my neighborhood, I don't, I don't know how you get me out of the mentality of wanting to be a real nigga. So whatever consequences gonna come from that, they came from it, you know what I'm saying? But if you say, like, what could I have done different? I just wish I would have educated myself enough to be a better person earlier. 
You know what I'm saying? Because, you, like, I, I had people, I had, you know, in Denver, like you, you know, that was supposed to be like a shit experience, but I had Coach Shanahan on people trying to bring you to the side. You know what I'm saying? But personally, if I would have just educated myself, and I say education, I'm not talking about, like, you know, let me read from an English book or let me go to math class. Like, personal and professional development and consciousness and how behavior, interpersonal skills, shit that you just don't get from the classroom, you know what I'm saying? Like, thinking is a skill. And I don't, I don't think people really understand that or we don't have places in society where you understand that, right? I wish that would have happened earlier because you would have been a... You, you would have been more mature faster. It, it, it's tough because socioeconomic disadvantages are real. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of times, you know, they say you're a product of your environment. I like to say you're a product of the product, which is those environments, the demographics in which we come up. 1,000%. And you're, you're only exposed to certain you know, level of things. So you only know what you think you know mm -hmm. until you don't know, right? Just hearing your story, I mean, I've, I've gotten it surface level, but to actually hear it from you, you know, man, um, I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of you. I appreciate it. You know, it. like how you've been able to bounce back, you know, and be able to go and give it back to these kids in the mm -hmm. community yeah. and the people in these business settings, what to do wrong, what to do right. Hey, fellas. There's so many events going on. There's games, college football is going on. There's basketball, WNBA, also concert, hell, Drake's on tour. And if you're trying to get to any of these events, use the Game Time app and it'll get you right where you need to be easier than you can say one, two, three. Fella, we all want to be entertained now and they have flash deals every few hours. So you talked about the games, the concerts, the comedy shows. If you want to have a good time, go to the Game Time app. Channing. The flash deals are great, but if you find a ticket that's cheaper, they will price match you up to 110% of that purchase. Go to the App Store and download the Game Time app. Make it happen. And you can go to GameTime.co as well. So if you're looking for tickets to any of these major events, games, concerts, whatever you want to get to, GameTime.co and the Game Time app is for you. And use Pivot at checkout for $20 off your next purchase. That leads me to back to Ohio State, though, uh, have they accepted you back? It's twofold. Um, the people, and I, I don't think that there's, um, it's two types of love. You have institutional love, and you have everyday people fan love, right? Mm -hmm. And I get so much love from people that, like, it supersedes everything else. You know what I'm saying? Because people realize, like, you went out here, you made me feel something. I remember you came as an 18-year-old kid. You was brazen, tough, and really the catalyst. I'm not saying I'm the catalyst, but I'm damn sure one of the people here who picked this motherfucker up. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people who, who've been great. Yeah, well, it was, here. what, 34 years in yeah. between championships? Yeah. You and, changed it, bro. Yeah, I, I was just respect being respectful to teammates and people. You know, it's a lot that goes into everything. You know what I'm saying? But definitely contributed my piece of it to do it. And so from a, from a fan standpoint, like, I have the connection from the institution, like, it's still not there. You know what I'm saying? And so we, we had a reunion, you come back, and, um, like, they deal with you, but, it, but there's no, like, formal embracing connection, right? So for the past five years, I've been going to UConn men's basketball team, right? Mm -hmm. They don't care what you do. Man, I don't care who you was before you got here. It's something about your story that I think has value to our people. We're going to embrace you. We're going to have you be a part of the team. Any game you want to come to, we're going to bring you up here on a monthly basis, work with our guys. All these dudes who've been part of UConn's basketball men's program for the past five years, I've seen them go from 
you know, the shabby team when Dan Hurley got there to Championship. championships last year. You know what I'm saying? So you also understand that if these people wanted to, they could mend the bridge or mend the fence. But I'm not the one to say, hey, let me run down. Let me try to talk to you. Let me, you know, do whatever it is, what it is. You know what I mean? And it's just going to be what it's going to be. But, you know, uh, who knows? You know, who knows what the future holds? You know what I mean? Uh, maybe they want to separate from me totally. But, man, I, I, like, it's like anything else. The fans, is who, the fans are who ultimately make you, and that's who I have connection with. So I'm like, I'm totally cool with that. No, I was just going to say, in this day and age of NIL, you know, and all that other stuff, you know, it stemmed from the cell phone. Yeah. Right? And, mm -hmm. and those infractions and getting money. Now I think uh, you have an amazing voice to be able to give back to those kids so they can avoid. It's not as... Uh, uh, um, restrictive, mm -hmm. you know, they can get money now, but there are other parts of that story that these kids travel with. You know, a lot of them want to go back and be that tough ass back at home yeah. in the off season. Your story can help them, you know, steer clear and circumvent them from becoming a statistic, you know, if they hear that. So I think it'll be beneficial if Ohio State, you know, created some sort of program or at least let you come back yeah. often to speak. Well, I say this, man, it's, it's, it's no different than and I, I'll just use them because it's obviously a big thing. It's the same thing that Prime doing, you know. And uh, like, so think about this: for the past, I don't know, ten years, I go to LSU, I go to Alabama, you go to all these major universities, and when they usually bring me in, it's like they can't say, but man, can you talk to the niggas on our team? Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm saying just what it is. When you when you here for the premier superstar. Hey, man, we have some guys who are in a rough situation. I remember when Dalvin Cook was down in Florida State and he got into a thing down there and his brother, you know, is mm -hmm. can you talk to these niggas and can you get them out of a nigga phase? And this is what you have on your campus and this is what you have that run out of these tunnels. This is what you have that's jumping around. We talking about busting somebody's head. This is what you have running down on kickoff. This is what you hear blaring through the speakers. You know what I'm saying? And it's a process. And so when I go down and I talk to these dudes, I was just down in Florida like, young dudes just, I connect with them. You know what I'm saying? And I just let them know that, like, I've been in this space at one time where you're a knucklehead, and I see why you talk the way you talk. I see the, the, the image you're trying to project. I see all of this. But I can make it make sense why that shit is a dead end. Mm. You from where I'm coming from? But then I also can make sense on ways you can leverage yourself if you take this shit serious, right? So the reason people don't improve their behavior is because they say, what's the fucking point? You know what I'm saying? If I can go ahead and be who I am and I can go ahead and play football and be an athlete, like, I'll attain all my shit that way, right? But when you mathematically break down, like, this shit doesn't last long. You mathematically break down how even if you do get paid, that shit don't last long. You feel where I'm coming from? You mathematically break it down to them or, or you, you talk through operations of how you land, how, how you could land, if, how you get fucked up, and then I can say, okay, bro, that shit didn't work out for me and I'm still a millionaire doing this other shit. That's how you influence people. People ain't getting influenced by a motherfucker who don't have shit. Yep. You know what I'm saying? People ain't getting influenced by a motherfucker who ain't doing nothing. And so when they hear me talk, when they hear reality, and they're just passion, bro, I hear, if UConn didn't pay me, I'd still do it. This is like, yo, the circle of life. I had coaches and people invest in me, and nothing feels more rewarding than going back to these dudes and saying, you know what? Like, in most cases, you on these university campuses, they get what they can get out of you. Let me show you how to make this shit last. Let me show you how you can go back to your hometown, not be embarrassed. Let me show you things that you can get into, even if you don't know. These are books that you can start with. These are people that you can start with. And you hear it go off in their mind. You be like, damn, like, I ain't know I can do this. Even before the 
show. We talking. Yeah. I figured this out. This is how you can figure this thing out in your area, and I can break it down to you and talk to you. And that's that's what I feel I can give to. And it ain't got to be Ohio State. I just got pride from being from Ohio. No difference than the dude from Florida, Georgia, Texas. Every motherfucker feel like they football is the best football, right? Hell yeah. <laughs> you, know Look, Hell yeah. you know what I'm saying? And so I, I just I have pride in representing our state. You would love to contribute, but there's nothing greater than man when you get these young dudes who I, I was there, Florida with Kadarius Tony, you know, for when I, I got a thing where he, he you know he was a rapper in college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. You know, I, I'm here when I, I seen Jamal Adams when I go down to uh, uh, fucking LSU, LSU and Leonard Fournette, you know, and I, and I, I go to, what's his name, Les Miles. And I said, man, well, y'all, like, I say, like, ignorant shit. I was like, would, uh, would your coach put his kids in the same class he got you in? And you got everybody sitting around like, what the fuck? <laughs> who, do, who do we bring here? You know, right, take a social dance. <laughs> yeah. You know what? The, the, the thing listening to Fred and you talk about socioeconomic standing, mm-hmm. right? And, and that does influence your decision making because you start to feel there's only certain ways to get certain things. Mm-hmm. And there's only certain ways for you to elevate yourself out of the position that not only you are in, but the position you've seen your parents in, the position you've seen your grandparents in before that as it pertains to society. But the other thing is, you know, you keep calling it a phase. For some people, it's not a phase, right? <laughs> they're, it, they're, they're like, if you don't see an old gangster, it's because he's dead or in jail. But he's never, he's not out of that face. No. And when you look back on yourself, when you look back at to who you became based on circumstance, how do you feel about that person? Like, can you look at that person and in your adult mind and being 39 years old say, you know what? He had a good heart, right? He was a good kid. Right, but he only saw these things. He didn't know enough. He couldn't read well enough. He couldn't comprehend well enough to be anything else, right? And and also, how do you feel about that kid? How does that influence the way you do deal with young people now? I don't know. It goes in phases. Embarrassed about some things, and I think that you start to get embarrassed when you have kids, and you start to realize like the the behaviors that you're trying to inflict in them or instill in them, like you stumbled on things like that. And so at certain phases, I get embarrassed. Like, um, I'm, I'm embarrassed even when I talk about that police chase. You know, I'm embarrassed because, like, my moms didn't raise me like that. Even though I was out of the house early, like, my mother didn't raise me to be, like, a degenerate. You know what I mean? Embarrassed because, you know, coaches who invested time into you, you know, you get embarrassed by that. The other stuff I can accept because you just say this is part of the environment, you know, and that same thing is what drove me to be good in football. The same thing is what drove me to be uh, just who you are. You know what I mean? I think there's a certain level of uh, aggression and joyfulness, like when you grow up in the hood and you playing and you becoming tough and you playing little league football and all that stuff. And so, like, there, there's a part of that in my childhood. You know, I get, I get proud at different moments that I was able to take people from back home and, you know, like, instill a pride in them, mm-hmm. you know, where they have something to be proud of in Youngstown, where they be like, you know, so many people were happy for me. Like, man, we just, we happy that you... Like, we happy you made it, nigga. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I, don't know, I don't know another way to say that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But y'all know what I'm talking about, yeah, yeah. where they get so happy and proud and, like, like I, got, like, I got a huge nigga audience. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how to he understands that. Look. His audience is big, too. <laughs> His audience is big, hey, too. Hey, bro, we, don't worry. We're going to connect. Like, <laughs> go on. You, you going to come down to Miami. We're going to yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's my crowd. You know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> to, to this question, though, because I actually had it written down, my question was almost like I don't think football was good for you because you had too much fame too early. It blew you up. Yeah. But you would have never got out of Youngstown without football. You no. couldn't be moved to that apartment. You wouldn't have been on Ohio State. You wouldn't be on this show no. if it wasn't for football. But then football gave you the opportunities to be with the World Wide West, be with the LeBron, know those mm -hmm. type people. Like, I'm really stuck on what would you be without football because I think it did some great things for you, but I think it put you in situations that you weren't ready to be in at a young no. age. I, I, I hate to say it, man. If you just, like, so go off of facts, right? You know, I only got into football out of the juvenile system. You know what I'm saying? And if you progress and if you go off statistics, I'm probably just escalating and doing more of that. Like, I had a, just think about it, I mean, I had an admiration, and, and it's, I, these are points where I get embarrassed, but it's just the reality of it. You grow up and you see people hustle and they, they get things, and this is what you admire. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And how they get these things. Like, when you hustle, you ain't gotta like, you, like, you don't have to go anywhere. You step outside your house. This is in your neighborhood. These are people next door to you. So it's not like you have to have, this is not like a great effort to do. You know what I'm saying? And so then you, my, my older brother influenced me. You know what I'm saying? So when I'm looking at my older brother, my older brother selling heroin like 40 going north, I can only imagine that I would be like a version of that because this is who you admire. And so like football definitely saved me. It was my vehicle out, but it also gave me like, like it, 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 take, it takes you to a place where you meet different people, you see different things, and you start to say, hey, man, I can be somebody other than, you know, what I've been in the past. You, and you love football still? I love the technicalities of it. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, just, I just enjoy, but I, I, can, I can fall in love if you uh, was like, hey, man, this is how you build cameras. I fall in like, uh, well, like when they shot, ESPN shot the Youngstown Boys film, I fell in love with filmmaking because, like, I understood the production of it and the effort that goes into it and the research and the angles and the shots. And just like in business, I'm not in love with one industry, the mechanics and how you make things work and all of that stuff. And I think just even from football, I think that's what I fell in love with. Like when you begin to watch film, you say, okay, this is why this works and this is why they do what they do. Like no difference than what a coordinator would do. But I think I found that, that infrastructure for whatever I get into where I can like engineer something. You can engineer how something works and this is how you make money. This is how you get customers. This is how you, keep margin, this is how you keep employees happy, this is how you retain them. Like, you know, so I, I, don't, I don't know what that's called. Maybe there's somebody else who has uh, a better level of intelligence who can help me with it, but that's, you know, I, mean, I don't know. Talking about help, you mentioned LeBron and all those guys, mm -hmm. the whole entire crew, Rich, Wes, Mav, you know, Ernie. Mm -hmm. Ernie um, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Did any of those guys help or reach out to help during those moments when you were going through your stuff or were they just too young to really understand? That's a combination of two things. Like, so, so take this in consideration. You have, I'm a, I'm a year older than LeBron and we were all literally coming up at the same time. Like the, his first game was on my birthday. Like, like we all coming up at the same time. So I get in trouble. This is his second year in the league. Are you you feel I'm coming from? Like this man is like never at any moment, he doesn't have like a responsibility to help me nor do I think that you would even know how to navigate to help at this time, you know what I'm saying? And so he's rich, and I think sometimes when you're rich and you're wealthy and notarized, or, or you're a notable person, I think people think that you should know, you know what I'm saying? But you don't know how to help somebody Correct. at this point in life. Like, I'm suspended from school. Like, Jim Brown can't help me. Jimmy Sexton can't help me. Uh, my mother can't help me. There's nobody who has advice for something like this in my life. 
I'm pretty sure that they look at it and they say, like, yo, like, my man, like, a twisted situation, but there's nothing that you can do. Even if he would have probably set me down and was like, yo, bro, like, let's do something else, like, I probably would have ignored him because my ego at that time would have been like, man, I don't want no man taking care of me or helping me. Like, I want to do this myself. Like, like, like I still got an ego. Like, I still had an ego still then. You know what I'm saying? And so you fast forward, you know, I called, when I was in jail, I called Rich. He picked up my call. He still loved me. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Uh, you know, I, st- I was with Mav and Steve Stout in New York a couple years back, and, you know, we hung out, and we all good friends. But even in that moment, I don't think I would have listened to them. But I think, like, you know, just think about this. Like, when you're in a dark place, bro, just think about just think about the people y'all know who are in dark places, who depress, who just have a low perspective. They're not happy with themselves. They don't have their own goals. They don't have their own thing working. Like that's where I was at. LeBron, like he's an entity. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? But I ain't got time to be doing this. But nor do I take it personal because I understand it. Correct. You know what I'm saying? And so, like you get yourself in a better place in life, you get healthier. Yeah. And then you add on the people. You know what I'm saying? But I don't think people understand that. Like, the victim mentality will have you saying... You owe me. You owe me. <laughs> you my dude. Yeah. You should do for me. And that's... I don't know. I don't know. I just never went through and that. I, and I think the, the other piece you had to think about at that point is King... The King James image was what was big at that time. And obviously, yes. it's different now because now it's going into fatherhood and yes. businessman and those things. But it was the kid from Akron who was clean of all those things. Yes. Who has transcended the hood or the projects. And now, if you connect yourself to this guy who is doing some things that they don't feel like you should be a part of or you shouldn't be connected 100%. to, you have the, 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 the people who are supposed to protect his brand are saying, nah, you can't call Maurice. Or you can't be someone who is publicly known to be reaching out a hand to him. And so I think that, like, all those things play into it, too. This started as a sports podcast. It has turned into not being that (laughs) that much. But I love football. You know, you were talking, you were like, I love the... Like, I love football. And here's what I remember about Maurice Claret more than anything. National Championship... Right? My (laughs) favorite player of all time gets an interception, Sean Taylor. Right? (laughs) Now, to this day, baddest human I've ever been around. Right? The most talented, the the meanest, (laughs) the most, just all those things, right? (laughs) Dot picks it off. He's he's running. You're going over to make the tackle. And I think, and and I'm talking about this play, because I'm talking about the best I'd ever seen do anything. Right? (laughs) And this man who's like, well, I played football because it got me out of my circumstances. And I played football, but you run up to him to tackle him and take the football from him. In that moment, from just a football perspective, bro, what what is going through your head when you see him running? And not to mention, Ohio State wins this game in overtime with a five-yard run from you. Mm -hmm. That's the touchdown, right? Like, this, this is like the last moments we got to see Maurice Claret greatness. What was all that like for you? The, the Sean Taylor thing had more to do uh, with a running back drill. So, you know, probably since, since you've been carrying the football, the first, the first drill you're going to do is ball, ball security. Mm-hmm. High and tight. High and tight. And so in the huddle, our quarterback was roommates with a guy, uh, Ben Hartsock. And he was like, yo, can you throw me a, champion, a, t- a touchdown in the <laughs> national championship? <laughs> so I'm like, all right, like, he's going to throw his dude a, championship, a touchdown in the championship. And so he dropped back and he threw the ball and I didn't even see the interception. I just heard the crowd. And I was like, oh shit. 
And so then when I seen it with Sean Taylor, I was like, yo, I got to get on my horse. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> I got to take the right pursuit angle. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I could see, and you know, if you ever wore on visors, the reason I used to hate visors, they look nice, but it mess up your peripheral. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it blocks a certain thing. And they had these visors that were like multicolored. Like mm -hmm. they like transitioned into like three or four different colors. And so when I'm running, I'm like, this dude don't see me. And you can tell when somebody see you because they like, you know, they can, you, you feel it. And he doesn't see me, but he's carrying the ball crazy. And you know, as well as I know, if somebody get their hand right here, that ball gone, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm pretty strong. So when I got closer to him, I, to me, it was like disbelief that he let me get that close to him and he didn't secure the ball. Like, or at least he would have uh, uh, bundled up and I just stuck my hand right there. So I actually contribute that play more to drills at practice. Mm. You know what I'm saying? My coach used to always say, he used to say all the time, drillers make killers. And just drill to death, and you're going to basically get to where you got to go. So I just basically put my hand in there and put my weight down, and then Vilma picked me up. And actually, when he hit me, when he dumped me on my head, if you look, go back and look at the play, he dumped me on my head. Like, my neck started to hurt. You know what I'm So when I'm coming off the field, I'm like, man, my neck hurt. And, you know, like, I, I don't know if it was, like, anxious jitters or whatever it may be. Uh, that's what ended up happening. And so, but the touchdown was different. You know, and I know we have the controversial call for the game. You know what I'm saying? We'll leave oh, that alone. Oh, was not passing the field. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. I know, so, I know hey. Chris Gamble is your <laughs> Travis Hunter and all. I see you posted. Okay. Yeah, that was not passing so, the field. So, hey, apologize, DJ, Vilma, all you. I, I, we've made amends since then. <laughs> so, I was on the phone with these jokers. I was like, look, man, hey, go, go, go beef with the ref. You know what I'm saying? I don't have nothing. So, to Will Fork, all y'all guys, we apologize if you all feel any difference. I love y'all. We all brothers, you know, trying to figure life out. So just, <laughs> we, that's it. You know, we apologize. I know the comments are going to go crazy like it's not our championship. But when we got the call again, they said, hey, y'all got to go back on the field. You got to play the game. Wow. And so then we called a run play and, you know, I scored. And I was like, wow, this is like cool. And amazing, but you know, I'm, I'm not joking with you. You can go back and watch the film. Like after we got, like I, I enjoyed the moment, but even after the game, I was like, yo, like, can we do this again? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't want to come off and say like, I don't love football. Maybe it's something inside of me that I had so many bad experiences later. You know what I'm saying? That makes me look at it like, like somebody else can look at football, like, okay, you look at college sports and enjoy it purely. Yeah. I look at college sports and then I add all of the other stuff that I see. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I see the economics. <laughs> I see the football yeah. player. Yeah. I see the first-generation kid who's coming from school. I see what's being marketed to his mother and father. Right. I see where, you know, the kids who complete school and they don't have nowhere to go, but they have a degree in their hand and they can't do but so much, you know? So I see, I see more to it. And I don't say that that takes away from football. It's just you just start to see. The, the picture is bigger for yeah. you than what happens on the ground. 100%. You mentioned, and we you've seen the show, so we usually ask people the biggest pivot, but you mentioned prison was, for you, mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out this love for football thing. What are you most proud of at this point in your life? The biggest thing is, one, I was happy that, and this used to bother me, I was happy that I was able to be successful in front of my mother. Like, that was, like, a big thing to me. Um, happy to be successful in front of my family. You know, I've been, me and my woman have been together for 18 years, you know what I'm saying? And being able to show uh, that, uh, probably the biggest thing, bro, happy to get sober. You know, don't drink, don't drug, um, in a bed by nine, 
uh, just, you know, taking care of myself and, you know, and, and, and like just in good health and good spirits, uh, being joyful. The mother piece was, you've done so much for me my whole life that I've been able to repay you with just being like a good kid, you know, and not being an embarrassment to our family. My family, my, my lady had graduated from college and I went to prison, like she graduated in December. I go to prison, like obviously like that next August and it derailed her life. And when it derailed her life, she got a kid and mm -hmm. so she put her life on hold. It was a post I seen from when you, we said, uh, what happens when the best version of you is the worst version of everybody else? And I don't know what you meant to that. You was talking about your dad and the valet and how much pride you had in him and that, right? right. And so right. I've been on like this redemption tour myself to try to redeem myself and to all these things that I wish happened in my life with the NFL and wanting to make money and all this other stuff. And all this shit happens, but this probably is the, the most distant I am from my family. You know what I'm Because I'm so dialed into, you know, wanting to make me the best version of myself. So I can sit up here and say, like, I'm cool. Like, you'll see her and say, oh, man, this motherfucker talk real cool and all this shit is cool, but, like, I'm still dealing with the same shit. Well, I don't know how you took it, but with That's me, I, yeah. you know, I'm never home. I'm building the business. I'm on the phone. I'm building something. And for me personally, I'm like, and this shit finally working, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm, to my girl, I'm like, I'm fucking like, nigga, this, this 20 hour days I've been working, this is fucking prison, this is motherfucking, you know, being down in the dumps, this is being hungover and hating yourself, this is not knowing if you still wanna motherfucking move forward with life, this is all that shit, you know what I'm saying? And then when you finally get shit working and you feel like you're the best version of yourself, you know, you see the disconnect grow from your lady because like your ass is down in the work, you know what I'm saying? And then trying to find balance with that, you know, and, and this is a real thing, you know what I mean? We, so we got two little boys too. One is, you know, get ready to turn, um, one turns four in December and one turns one, uh, October 6th. And so being present, but being in the house, but not being really present for the pregnancy and all this other stuff. And then she has complications during the pregnancy and she going through surgery, but even though I'm here, I'm still on the fucking phone handling business, you know what I'm saying? And then shit with myself, I'm like, I don't even know how to fucking be present. You feel what I'm coming from? And that's like probably like a shortfall with me, right? I'm better, I can deal with business, but with people it's hard. Okay. Because you become so stoic with business. Like when you deal with business, like wherever you leave business, it stays there until you pick it back up, right? With people, people change, or they have different moods and attitudes, and then somewhere in my brain, I'll be like, man, fuck this, I don't wanna deal with this. Mm -hmm. It's easy for me to deal with something that I can build, mold, process, and go through. And, but then also knowing like I'm struggling with like relationship, you know, even like my daughter. She, just, she graduated early, right? She graduated like She's 16. 16 years old, Yeah. right? So she wanted to get into film production, and she applied to Loyola Marymount for film, not, not film production, film, studies and in order for her to get to the program she wants she has to go into film production and so basically she couldn't do it uh because she, like you have to like essentially it's the enrollment process right she basically filled out the wrong application and she wants to reapply next year but i remember this is this was my little girl and you know she's by me and she's next to me and everything else but i can see like you know how business and things that i wanted to accomplish personally as these things started to take off like my just my time or connection or attention towards my personal environment. And so were things that I'll get up that'll bother me, I'd be like, fuck, like, how do you even balance this shit? And then I say, man, it ain't really no fucking balance because the things that you've created call for your attention. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, this shit calls for, it calls for what it calls for. And then I asked myself, like, and I don't know if it's me playing the game in my head to make me feel better. I'll say, like, shit, if I was, if I was with the Jacksonville Jaguars and they told me to be out the house from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., you wouldn't say a word. But if I'm building something myself, something that I own, it just becomes problematic. And then I say, man, am I making an excuse for myself? Is this a real thing? Are we both walking into new territory that we both don't know about? And I don't know. You feel where I'm coming from? Well, bro, none of us know. And the, the piece you're talking about, I was talking about myself, right? I, I spoke about the things I learned from growing up with my father and the things that I felt like in watching his life seemed impor important to me or important to him and seemed pri as priorities to him. And we accepted those things. And you expect that as you get older and as you have these relationships that the people in your life will respect and accept those things as well. But we only see things from our perspective, right? Our personal story tells us who we are, tells mm -hmm. us how people treat us, tells us how people love us, right? How much time people give to us. And I think, like, that's the hard part. And uh, your, your girl's name is Ashley, Ashley, right? yes. You know, and, and, you know, like, you have a daughter that she had to take care of and she had to be the one for when you were dealing with things. Mm -hmm. And the difference between business and people is feelings, right? Business don't have no feelings. No. Right? Whether I show up to my business or I don't show up to my business, there's no feelings involved. No, it may fail or it may succeed, but there's no feelings involved. It's not like that with people. And <laughs> business doesn't remember being hurt. Business doesn't remember being alone. People do. And I think there is, you know, you're saying, you're talking about like trying to get back all of these things. You actually never get them back. You just don't. Like they, they, they don't automatically or they don't just out of the blue become okay because we're now there. Like, that junk takes work. And unfortunately for people like us sometimes who get bogged down in processes, I am very cognizant of effort, right? I feel like I got to put effort into things. But then you look at it, like, we got to put effort into our relationships too, you know? And I'm, bro, I am, I am dealing with that. Like, li listening we're, to you. We're achievers. Yeah. There's, no, there's no finish line in relationships. Nope. You can't. There's no end. Your business blows up, make a bunch of money. You know, you, you can sell it, make it money. You, now it's not there. With personal relationship, but there's no end. Are we reading the book now? What book am I reading? My wife bought way it for of, me. Way of the Superior Man. Way of the Superior yeah, Man. Yeah. I've read it. I'm reading it right now. Yeah. That's the thing, is that you, as achievers, there's no, there, we have an end result. There's a finish line. There's no finish line in relationship. I, I'm, that, I'm, yeah. we're all, I speak yeah. for everybody, but I think we all go through that. Yeah, and I think the, and, 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 you know, we have a, our lovely producer, Alicia, keeps us to a certain time. But I will say this, man. I thought this was amazing. I think getting an opportunity to hear you tell your story from your perspective was eye-opening to me. You've started another conversation now. And so if you're up for it, man, we'd love a part two at some point soon. Yeah. Anytime. Man, appreciate you, man. That was good, bro. That was, that was dope, dog. Oh, yeah, he, about, he about to start another conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was going to go another hour. Yeah, well, <laughs> real talk, man. Hold up. Let me listen. Take a it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. Uh, on the mission, got me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, on the vision, I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. Take a stomach, cap in it. 
I fought the head to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling got me up.